Okay, so in that portion of scripture, we saw a couple of things. Okay, we saw Jesus' baptism, we saw his temptation, and then we saw his call to repent and believe. And so, so those are the things that I'm going to cover and talk about as we walk through these portions of scripture. And first I want to talk about his baptism. Isn't it interesting that Jesus got baptized. Now, I know a lot of you know what baptism is. Baptism is we identify with Christ, right? We're following um, him. You know, he died and rose again. And so when we get baptized, we're symbolizing dying and, and raising to a new life. Uh, we're being in the, the verses before when John the Baptist was doing his baptism. It, it was a, a repentance for for the remission of sins, okay? And so why in the world would Jesus need to be baptized? Well, that's what I want to talk about because this is amazing to me, really. And I think this is a question that a lot of us are kind of, when we come to this portion of Scripture, are, are questioning why did that need to happen? As a matter of fact, we had a baptism a couple of months ago here at one of our men's groups, a two-by-four men's group, it's every second and fourth Saturday, one of the guys got baptized, and we all sat around, and we talked about baptism right here, and it was, it was really cool. And one of the guys asked, why did Jesus get baptized if he was sinless? Because Jesus was God. He was fully God and fully man. And as we know through the Christmas story that he was born of a virgin and he grew up, he, he, was, he did not inherit the sinful nature that humanity has, although he was fully human. He didn't inherit our sinful nature. He was, he was sinless and holy, so he didn't have to, have to get baptized for the forgiveness of his sins, right? So, so I have four things I want to talk about with Jesus' baptism. It was significant in at least four ways. I'm sure there's a ton of other, other reasons that our minds can't even comprehend why God does the, the things he does in the way he does. But here's four I want to talk about today. One is it that, that it declared the start of his public ministry. We know that, you know, all the way up until this point, Jesus hasn't said anything or done, done anything uh, uh, Jesus' ministry started at 30 years of age, and so he'd grown up as a child and, and an adult, and he worked as a, as a carpenter uh, with his father, Joseph, and at 30 years of age is when he's going to begin his ministry, and that's where the book of Mark starts. Um, and it starts at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, and the, the baptism is like the inauguration of Jesus' ministry. Secondly, it identifies him as the second member of the Trinity. I'm going to talk a little bit about that. It demonstrated his obedience to the Father. He was submissive to the Father, even though in the Trinity uh, they're all equal. The Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit are equally God. Um, they're they're co-equal, co-eternal, three separate persons, one essence of God, one being. That's how we explain the Trinity. That's the best we can do. Beyond that, understanding God is, is beyond what our minds can fathom because he's so much higher than we are. But he, he was submissive. There was, there's like a, they call it the economic Trinity, like how they interacted with one another. And he was submissive to the Father like a son and a father 
uh, relationship should be. And then number four, it showed his willingness to identify with humanity. And that's something that I'm going to clarify as we move forward. But let's go back to these verses. Mark 1, 9 through 11. One day Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and John baptized him in the Jordan River. As Jesus came up out of the water, he saw the heavens splitting apart and the Holy Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice from heaven said, You are my dearly loved son, and you bring me great joy. Now we talked about this is, this is symbolizing the start of his ministry. This is inaugurating the start of his ministry. Just like when a person gets baptized, it, it symbolizes the start of their faith. If you're a believer and you've been baptized, you probably, maybe it took a couple years for you to decide to do it. But the reality is, it's symbolizing the start of your relationship with God. You can only start a relationship with God by faith in Jesus Christ, believing he, he died for your sins. And so when a person gets baptized, they're symbolizing. And when people 2,000 years ago and for thousands of years now have trusted in Jesus and had that salvation moment where they finally understood, okay, I need a Savior and I need to apply the death of Christ to my life, they symbolized their faith publicly by getting baptized. And so in this way, Jesus is symbolizing not his faith, but he's symbolizing the beginning of his ministry that would lead to everyone else's faith. All right, And so that's really, baptism is a symbolism. It's not actually doing something. There's not like this mystical, magical thing happening when a person goes into the water and comes up. Other than being obedient, it is a holy act, and we're being obedient to the call, and we're following after Jesus. But it's not necessarily, it's a, it's a symbolism is what we need to understand. It's symbolizing something that's going on internally. Jesus is symbolizing something that's going to happen to him later. He's symbolizing his death and resurrection when he gets baptized. He's starting this ministry of sharing the good news. And then the other thing I wanted to talk about as it, it, it affirms that he's the second member of the Trinity. Right in this passage we see Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Heavens are open. Jesus is there obviously in the water. The Holy Spirit is coming down on him like a dove. And the voice from heaven is obviously God the Father. So this is one of those verses where if you're trying to understand the Trinity, this is a good one to go to. Now some people misunderstand and they're like, how could Jesus be God and, and how could the Holy Spirit be God if the voice from heaven is God? Well, that really doesn't, that doesn't work against the explanation of the Trinity. This actually helps the explanation of the Trinity that there are three persons all working together as one God, working out the relationship and the salvation of humanity. And it's beautiful that we see the Father say this beautiful thing. You are my dearly loved son, and you bring me great joy. My son actually is going to get baptized today in the second service, my eight-year-old son. If you guys want to come back and watch that, it's, it'll be at like... I guess, 1205, 1210. Um, and that brings me great joy to, to see my son take his step of faith to proclaim in front of 
you know, hundreds of people that I am symbolizing my faith and putting my trust in Jesus. Although he's believed in Jesus for a long time, we've wanted him to understand baptism. And so I can, I can catch a small glimpse of what's going on in this, this, this portion of Scripture where the father is, is proud of his son. You know, the father is, is proud that his son is going to go out and do his work and represent him into the world, and he's going he's gonna to do something that's really hard. You know, the Christian faith is a hard faith. I want you to understand that. If anybody told you it was easy, it's not. It's worth it. But there's a lot of fighting and fighting against sin and temptation and, and different false teachings out there, and there's persecution that can happen, and it's been happening, and, and the Father is so proud of and and, and, and joyful over his son. We know that, that God loves it when his son is most glorified and, and magnified under the, the microscope, when, when Jesus is praised, that brings praise to the Father. That shows kind of the selfless love of the Father that he wants his son to have the spotlight. His son's the one who comes down to the earth. His son's the one who's going to redeem mankind. His son's the one who's going to be the ultimate hero. And God is saying, you got this, son. You make me proud. You bring me great joy because you are fulfilling my plan, our plan, as God. The last part of that point that I was making about it shows his willingness to identify with humanity is this then. So why did Jesus need to get baptized? Um, well, because he was making an exchange with humanity. He was pointing towards what he was going to do. He's going to have to die and rise again. He wasn't getting baptized because he was sinful and needed it to be washed away. He was getting baptized because we are sinful, and Jesus came down to the earth to exchange places with humanity. He came down to the earth to take on humanity's sin, to take on God's wrath towards sin and man, and, and to be the great sacrifice. And that's what his baptism is symbolizing. His baptism is that he's identifying with humanity. There's something in, in Mark chapter 10, verse 38. His disciples, later on, his disciples in ministry, they don't fully understand Jesus. And, you know, disciples, all of us, we never fully understand Jesus. It's a lifelong journey. But in this particular moment of time, two disciples and, and their mother you know, came to Jesus and said that they wanted to be on his right and left-hand side when he went to heaven, when he went to his kingdom, when he finally sat on his throne. And Jesus is like, you don't know what you're asking. That's what it says. Jesus said to them, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And what's he talking about there? He's talking about this baptism of not of the forgiveness of sins, but he's being baptized into the identity of humanity. And even greater than that, 
he's being baptized into God's wrath. When we're baptized, we're baptized into God's love, into his family. We're baptized into forgiveness of sins, that we're going to be raised to life one day. His is the exchange. He's being baptized into the wrath of man and suffering and He's going to take our sin. Later on in Mark, I'm, I'm trying to stick with the theme of the book of Mark here. He said, Abba, Father, this is when he's in the, this is, shows Jesus in his full humanity. He's in the garden before he's going to be crucified and he prays to his father and he says, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but you will. So he talked about this cup and a baptism and then he brings up this cup again, and it's this cup of suffering. And we see that Jesus, when he came to earth and became a man, he was fully God, but yet fully human. And in his humanity, he's, he's identifying with us because he became one of us. And even though he knew he had this job to do to make his father proud and to save mankind, he has this moment of, Lord, is this your will? Father, this is going to be hard. I want your will to be done. But if you can remove it, if you can remove this exchange that I'm going to have to take for all of humanity, would you do that? I think 2 Corinthians 5.21 explains it really well. This is Paul. And he says, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus Christ takes on our sin. This is called the great exchange. He's being baptized with a symbolic baptism about his death and resurrection, that he was going to trade places with us. And here's how Philippians 2 explains it. Though he was God... He did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. God became man, a helpless baby like one of us, grew up, was obedient to God, was bringing joy to the Father, humbled himself to death on the cross, and that's how he exchanges his righteousness with our sin. And the baptism of Jesus is significant in those four ways that I've talked about, but this one really blew my mind when I, you know, when I was studying for this. And I actually have a, a cousin who's a pastor in uh, Reno, who's also doing a book of, book of Mark series. And, and he's like a really, really smart guy. And when we were talking about this, my mind was blown. And so you guys, I, I had to be able to share this with you. And I, I know that it's kind of a deep concept. Um, but I hope that what it does is make you glorify Christ in your mind and your heart even more. That Christ was symbolizing his great exchange that he was going to do later on in our lives. That exchange now that when, now that my son's being baptized and, and another 
woman is being baptized today. Her name is Madison. There, he identified with us, and so then we ought to identify with him. And that's really what baptism is for us, is it's the, the exchange for Jesus' baptism and death on the cross. Right here in Romans 6, 3 through 4, it says, Have you forgotten when we were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined him in his death? For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. So when we get baptized, it definitely isn't exactly like Jesus' baptism. But it is almost the opposite, the, the juxtaposition that we have. Now we are being baptized by identifying with him, but he first came to be identified with us. Now, I think the thing is, though, is that people think when Jesus was on earth, he was, he was fully God. Like, how can Jesus really understand us? How can he really get us? You know, how can he really understand the pain and the problems that I'm going through? There's so much pain and suffering in the world right now not always of our own doing, but just because the world is broken and sinful because, because of how humanity is the way that it is and because of you know, something that happened way in history uh, back in Genesis chapter 1 with Adam and Eve falling from God and now we all have inherited that nature. But if, if, if Jesus is sinless, then how can he really relate with us? Right? How can he relate with the evil in our world that is tempting us? How can he relate to us with, with Satan himself trying to get at us all the time? One other thing I want to share about uh, baptism that's kind of interesting is that um, there's a lot of spiritual warfare that goes on with making decisions to follow the Lord and to get baptized and to pro publicly proclaim your faith. There's a, lot of, there's a lot of things that can go wrong that are almost unexplainable and just all kinds of attacks and, and uh, um, problems in life that seem to be more than, more than practical but, but spiritual. And I'll tell you, even this, the week leading up to this, I felt like I've been attacked by the devil you know like he doesn't want us to preach he doesn't want us to to proclaim our profession of faith he doesn't want us to to dig deep into the word of God and and so sometimes just things are not working and there's temptation and there's broken things that happen in in our minds and our emotions and our families and and one of the things that I, I think that we see in what's going to happen next after Jesus is baptized is that there's this testing that happens and there's this target that gets put on his back but also our backs when we decide to follow the Lord Jesus faithfully and it's that Satan exists and he exists to tempt people. He exists to entice people to sin. And, and so if you were just fighting against your own flesh and your own struggles and your own problems and your own addictions um, and you thought that was hard enough, imagine having to fight this spiritual enemy who's been alive and well for thousands of years working against God and his people. That's a, that's a big battle that we have to fight and, 
And, and so one of the other ways that Jesus identifies with us is through his temptation time in the wilderness. Let's look at what happens next. Right after Jesus is baptized, it says, The Spirit then compelled Jesus to go into the wilderness where he was tempted by Satan for 40 days. He was out among the wild animals and angels took care of him. This is interesting. Now, there's, there's, if you go to Matthew or another, one of the other Gospels, there's a, a bigger depiction of the story and what happens. But just the fact that the Spirit compelled Jesus to go into the wilderness to be tempted is a very interesting concept. It was almost like his boot camp. The baptism was him enlisting, and the temptation in the wilderness was his boot camp, and then he was going to go on to active duty for three years. That's, that's, that's what's happening here. And so this is his, his testing time, testing his, his desire to be obedient to fa- the Father, testing his power to not sin, testing his love for humanity. Because if he would have failed, we know he, he, he defeats Satan in a sense because... He doesn't give in to Satan's temptings. Satan tries to tempt him in several different ways, trying to twist the scripture, trying to give him fame and fortune, trying to get him off his fast, like giving him, trying to have him make some food, like turn rocks, rocks into bread. And Jesus, all three times, he says, I don't, man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. He uses God's word to fight against. Satan, and he comes out victorious. And we learned last week that the wilderness is a, an example and a metaphor of humanity and people that follow God have always failed in the wilderness. All the way back in the beginning, Adam and Eve, um, after they sinned in the garden, the place where they had relationship with the Father, communion with God, they were kicked out of the garden into the wilderness. That represented kind of their rebellion. And then, as we talked about last week, the Israelites, God's chosen people, were in the wilderness for 40 years, rebelling against God, falling into all kinds of sin and idolatry. And they failed in the wilderness. That represents our our failure, but where we failed, Jesus was victorious. And if Jesus would have failed along with us, then he couldn't be our Savior. But he proves to be our Savior by being able to defeat Satan and not falling into sin. I think Romans 5.19 puts it this way. It's so beautiful. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. That's talking about Adam and us. So by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Jesus' obedience to the Father provides salvation for us. And this was his testing time for the, the greater thing that he was going to do, which is later going to the cross. But yet, we wonder, okay, so we can say Jesus was tempted by Satan. 
And so how does that help us at all in our temptations? It helps us in our salvation. But how does it help us in our temptations? Well, Hebrews chapter 4, 15, and 16 says this. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all of the same testings we did, yet he did not sin. So let us boldly come to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. This is saying that, yes, Jesus, we don't have to, you know, what, why would we expect anything else from Jesus to be sinless and to be victorious? That's what we need him to be. But he's also compassionate and gracious and merciful. He doesn't expect us to go through the wilderness of our lives sinless. And this is one of the things that Satan uses to test and to tempt people in our day and age and has for a long time. Satan twists scripture, twists what we believe about who Jesus is, who God is, so that we'll live in shame and guilt and condemnation. We'll think we'll never be able to rise up to the level that God wants us to be on. So why come to him at all? Why come to him in the first place? Well, this is, this is saying that Jesus went through all of this even though we were sinners and are sinners and he did this act so that we can be made holy, made righteous through what Jesus does on the cross when he dies for our sins. And that now we can go to God, we have access to God through our temptation, through our struggles, through our sin. We can have confidence knowing our Savior who's so powerful, loves us, and gave his life for us. And this, my friends, is the gospel. This is what the gospel of Mark and the other gospels in the Bible are all about and what Paul is talking about and all the Old Testament is looking forward to, that Jesus Christ came and died to save sinners. And it had to be this way. It had to be this way so that we could be forgiven. And that's the one thing I think people get hung up on is why did Jesus have to become a human being? Well, let's look at our response. That's what I want to end with. Is we get to those last verses. This is where he, he leaves boot camp, the wilderness, and he says, Later on, after John was arrested, Jesus went into Galilee where he preached God's good news. The time promised by God has come at last. He announced the kingdom of God is near. Repent of your sins and believe in the good news. We've talked about repentance already. I want to give you another way to think about repentance. Repentance is not necessarily cleaning yourself up and then coming to God. It is changing your mind about what you believe about God. Okay, That's really what the, the word in Greek means is to change your mind. So, so many of us have grown up with this idea of who God is, that he wants me to follow these step-by-step -step religious rules and clean myself up. Then I can come to him, and then maybe he'll accept me into heaven. But no, the good news is Jesus Christ was born as a human being. He identified with us. He takes on our sin and our suffering so that we could be made right with God. We don't have to, to fear death in this life, but we can have confidence that we'll have eternal life no matter what we do, because it's by faith alone, in Christ alone. And this is the last verse I want to share with you that really 
helps us understand this a little bit more. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things. So Jesus became flesh and blood because we were flesh and blood. And then it says that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Jesus became a man because he was God. The Bible says he was God. God can't die. So he had to take on human flesh to become one of us so that he could die for us so that his blood could be spilt and we could be forgiven so that we could he could destroy the works and the temptations of the devil and all that Satan's doing in this world trying to tempt us and to trick us and to twist God's word and therefore the result of that is then we don't have to live in fear of death anymore. Even though death is a part of being a human, we don't have to fear dying anymore because Jesus came to give us eternal life. And so no matter what happens to us, no matter what Satan tries to do, no matter what the world tries to do, we can be victorious in Jesus Christ, follow after him, and even in death, we know that we're going to be raised to new life just like Jesus was. So that's how Jesus gets us in this portion of scripture that we're talking about today. He gets you more than you even get yourself. Will you accept this Jesus into your mind and your heart and your life today?